Hey everyone, we've been using Furnished Finder for the last five years. When it comes to travel nursing assignments or long-term vacations, Furnished Finder is a place to go. One of the most stressful aspects about travel nursing is finding housing. There are a lot of sites that offer furnished homes for short-term leasing. Furnished Finder has thousands of furnished properties nationwide to meet your every need. If you're looking for a one-bedroom studio to a three-bedroom family home, Furnished Finder has you covered. Travel with the peace of mind with Furnished Finder. Start your search at FurnishedFinder.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome, welcome to the Cup of Nurses show here with your hosts, Peter and Matt, two nurses on a mission to change this world one conversation at a time. Thank you for tuning in. If you find value in this show, please share and review the show. It would mean absolutely everything to us. Cupofnurses.com for the latest updates, merch releases, show notes, resource page. Everything is on there. For a lifestyle podcast, you can check out wearefrontlinewarriors.com. In this episode, we would like to introduce you to Carly Newton and Lori Harada, who are both registered nurses working as managers at Termo Blood and Cell Technologies. Carly uses that experience to educate healthcare professionals on the most effective ways to prescribe red blood cell exchange. Lori leads a team of 12 specialists who train and support their customers on the company's medical devices. Lori is also a leader in the industry with more than 35 years of ephoresis experience. Thank you, Carly. Thank you, Lori, for being here. Can you give us a little bit of background about yourselves and how you got involved with Turamo? Yeah, so I can start. Um, my name's Carly. I'm an ICU nurse from Australia. Kind of fell into nursing. Um, didn't really know what I wanted to do when I finished high school. And mum, mum's no best, right? said, why don't you go into nursing? And my best friend at the time had just gotten into university through nursing. So I started uh, my undergraduate degree and just fell in love with it. Um, throughout my undergraduate degree and then when I first started nursing, I always had a passion for education. I, mean, I was always the first one, you know, when nursing students came through to spend time with them and explain different concepts. And so through that passion, through education, I actually moved after about 10 years as an ICU nurse into uh, the commercial industry. So I started as a clinical trainer for Tarumo Blood and Cell Technologies in Australia. And then I've been lucky enough with Tarumo um, to live in both Singapore and Denver, USA, where I currently live now. So that's a little bit about my background and how I got into Tarumo Blood and Cell Technologies. And I'm Lori Harada. I've been a nurse for 40 years. Oh, my God. And I started in ICU just like Carly did. Um, I was in a general ICU, then an open heart unit. And um, a little bit of a sad story. My, uh, my brother developed a cardiogenic sarcoma. And he was actually in my unit and had open heart surgery. I... Um, got to know his oncologist very well. And after my my brother passed away, his oncologist came to me and said, how would you like to run my apheresis department? And I went, sure, I have no idea what I'm doing, but I'll try it. You know, like all nurses, we like to try new things, right? And I started the apheresis department at St. Louis University Hospital in St. Louis, Missouri. So I got that going and then learn from the industry, you know, when they come in and train you on their devices, they approached me at the time it was Baxter Healthcare. And I went to work for Baxter as a clinical specialist and trained on their devices for 11 years. And then I actually had my own um, consulting business for 10 years. I consulted on new product development and developing training materials for apheresis devices. And then when I moved to Denver in 2010, not Denver, actually, I moved to Western Colorado, I applied at Terumo, having all this background in apheresis, and um, they hired me. And now I'm the manager of a group of 12 individuals across the United States that train on all of our apheresis devices. That's amazing. I love the background that you guys have and the stories to get you where you guys are today. So what does 
Terumo Blood and Cell Technology? So yeah, we're a medical device company. Our headquarters are based in Lakewood, Colorado. And what we do is we produce uh, products, services, and software that enable customers to collect and prepare either blood or cells to help treat challenging um, diseases and conditions. So within our company, there are four business areas. We've got what we call our therapeutics area, and that's really focused on providing systems that provide uh, therapies for patients, as well as collecting blood cells for different um, immunotherapy products as well. We've got our global blood um, services group, and that really focuses on solutions for blood banks, like collecting plasma, red cells, filters for red cells, et cetera. Then we've got um, our cell therapies area, and that really focuses on providing solutions to our scientific customers to automate their processes. And finally, our newest area is plasma innovations, and they really develop systems that innovate the plasma industry. So, you know, we're really focused on really providing solutions to be able to get blood and cells um, to do more for patients. So it seems, yeah. like, seems like the company is focused on everything related to, to blood, taking it out of the, the system, the human body, and then using those cells for any kind of research or any kind of way to maybe help somebody if they, if they need a transfusion, uh, platelets, things like that, correct? Yeah. So, you know, there's a couple of things, you know, it might be removing something from the blood that's causing harm to the patient um, and replacing it with um, solutions that um, will um, provide a substitute for that. Um, or to your point, it could be collecting cells for different therapies. So sometimes our cells are collected and they're put into other systems for expansion, like um, CAR-T therapies. Uh, they're a lot of the bigger sort of things we do. And then I think the other thing that we do is um, provide solutions for blood banks to be able to collect blood products for infusions in hospitals. Are you looking for a fitness tracker to help you reach your fitness goals? Look no further. Whoop 4.0 is the ultimate fitness tracker, helping you optimize your workouts and recover faster. With personalized insights and metrics, you can track your progress and make sure you're getting the most out of your training. Simply sign up using our link and you'll receive a free Whoop 4.0 and a month on us. So why wait? Team up with a community of nurses and take your fitness journey to the next level. What's up listeners? Did you have a long shift at work or a hard workout? Feeling dehydrated? No worries. We've got you covered with Liquid IV. Liquid IV is a perfect solution for those wanting to stay hydrated without consuming all the extra sugar and artificial ingredients in sport drinks. It's a hydration multiplier that provides two to three times more hydration than water alone. And guess what? As our listener, you can use the code CONPOD, C-O-N-P-O-D, to receive 15% off your order and free shipping. Yeah. I'm curious to hear, what are the current struggles of that system, of these sectors you guys are dealing with? Because... As listeners, we're just bedside nurses, so all they really know is, hey, here's blood, here's plasma, it's given to us, we sign it, and then we give it to the patient, but we don't see the other vast departments you mentioned for and everything else that happens in the background. So what are some issues with this current field or technology? What are we trying to improve here to make it better for ultimately having better patient care and better outcomes in our healthcare field? Well, you probably know we have a huge blood shortage right now. So donors, getting donors to come in and donate is a, a huge um, hurdle that a lot of blood centers have to be able to meet the demands of you, the nurses at the bedside, to be able to go to the blood bank and check out your blood and give it to your patient. We at Trumo Blood and Cell Technologies want to help our customers recruit more donors, provide more blood. In fact, Carly was was um, instrumental in setting up a, a program. Carly, why don't you tell them about your um, From the Heart program? Yeah, so, you know, during COVID, 
because we work so closely with blood banks, um, we actually reached out to our blood banking partners and said, how can we help? What's the one, well, what are some of the things we can do to really help you in this time? We know at that point there was a huge blood shortage crisis. People were scared to go into the blood banks because of COVID. This was right at the start of the lockdown. And so the our blood banking partners said to us, if you can just get people to come in and donate blood, that's going to help us more than anything. So based on that, we started an internal blood donation program within Terumo. It's called From the Heart. It's really It was really designed to help educate people and to motivate people to donate blood. And it's grown every year since 2020 when we launched it internally. And I'm really happy to say that last year we contributed over 30,000 community donations globally um, for blood. So, you know, that's part of our passion. And then Laurie touched on it, but then going back to your original question as well around how do our blood products help? You know, we've got blood products that can collect specific components of blood. And so instead of going in and just donating a whole blood donation collection, which they have to break down into red cells, plasma and platelets, we've actually got automated collection machines that can actually get more products off the patient. So, for instance, um, if you're looking at something like platelet collections, if you just have whole blood don donors, they're actually going to take about five to six pulls, pulled um, platelets to make up one platelet transfusion. With our machine, the Trema, what can actually it can do is it can collect up to three platelet donations from the one donor, depending on their platelet count. So what our technology does is it helps blood banks better manage their, um, their inventory and it also allows them to collect more products of what they need from certain donors so it makes it far more efficient. It, 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 also, it also reduces the exposure to the patient. So when we look at a pooled bag of platelets, that's six different blood donors and their platelets all pooled together. But when we use the Trema device, we can collect a single dose or a double dose or a triple dose of platelets from one donor. And therefore, the patient gets exposed to one donor versus six donors. And then what, what does the process look like? Because to my mind, if, if, if someone tells me, hey, I'm going to donate blood and then that blood's going to get then broken down into like platelets, plasma, and all the other intricacies of, of blood. Is it, this machine just pull the blood out and it's like a centrifuge where it just sucks out like platelets because those are the only things that could, that could fit through this machine. How does that like technology actually work? Because people just, just think that when they donate blood, it just gets, gets, just gets pulled into a machine and that's just how it kind of, kind of is. So what's like the intricacies of, of, of your products? So there's, there's a couple of different ways. You can donate into a blood bag, which is what most people think about in blood donation. That's a whole blood donation. We have apheresis donations, which are the platelet collections. And yes, it is an apheresis device, which the blood comes out of their arm, goes into a centrifuge, is spun, and the platelets come off, and then the blood is given back in the same arm. And so we, it's cyclical. So it, it is constantly pulling the blood out, separating, taking the platelets off and giving the, the remainder, the red cells and plasma back to the donor. And this usually takes anywhere from an hour to an hour and a half, depending on how many platelets they can donate and what their platelet count is. I've, I've heard of things that giving plasma versus blood, there's a bigger needle, which always scared me to donate uh, plasma. I've seen <laughs> clinics that are created around the Chicagoland area. Is there a difference when it comes to those two donations? Well, in the in the plasma world, it is a 16-gauge needle. It's a, it's a big, it's like the size of your little finger. I mean, it's a big needle. In the platelet donation world, it's a 17-gauge needle. So it still is a big needle, not quite as big as a plasma donation needle. Okay. And how does, what's like the biggest hurdle in, 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 in um, let's just say, getting enough blood or enough components to these centers? Is it just a lack of, of donors or is it maybe 
the machines aren't as efficient as we would like them to be? Is it the lack of the amount that you could pull off a, a person to, to donate? And how do you, how, how has your company like maximized on those opportunities where are you, you're saying that you could pull, I think it was like four bags of plates off, off, off a person. So is there a way to tune these where you could get more from each individual, each individual donor? Well, recently, that- yeah, recently we, we launched a new software version on our Trima Excel platform, and it has significantly, <clears throat> excuse me, significantly improved the collection efficiency of collecting platelets. So in the past, with the old software, we would have donors that could come in and donate doubles. Now those donors, because we're more efficient in collecting those platelets, maybe are donating triple products now instead of just double in the same amount of time. So we have improved our technology to be able to collect more efficiently from our donors. Carly, you were going to say something? Yeah, I was going to say, you know, not only do we build devices, but we've also got software programs. So exactly what Laurie said, you know, and the fact that we can actually collect more blood products of donors, we've actually built software that will actually help donor centers as a patient or as sorry as a donor walks into a blood center that um they look that this system looks at their pre-counts and will actually tell them the best um possible um or the most they can get out of that donor as well so we're really proud of not only of our products but our software solutions that that increase efficiency as well and we've had great feedback around our vista system from blood banks and just especially you know during the covid uh crisis where there was just such a big shortage of blood we've helped blood banks manage that through some of our solutions as well that's amazing and i'm curious on what was the reasons for the shortage of blood i know it's of course needing more blood was it the pandemic that stirred things is it multifactorial where the processes aren't as efficient. We have to create better systems. What were the reasons for a shortage that we're currently experiencing? Because working in healthcare, we knew about this where we had to be very specific about who to give uh, give blood to. We only could have given it for seven below. Even with like the ECMO devices during the pandemic, I there was like studies that found that hemoglobin above 10 was mostly efficient, but we had to pick and choose and be selective of who we give blood to as the highest probability of making it alive because we had such shortages. So the main reason why there was a shortage, it started in 2020 with the pandemic. And the blood centers across the United States, they typically go out on mobiles to collect whole blood, and then they have their fixed sites to collect their platelets. Sometimes they'll take their mobile, um, their platelet uh, devices out and collect on mobiles as well. All mobiles were shut down during the pandemic. And that put a huge... um, lack of collection because there were no mobiles. In the blood centers, in the fixed sites, you could only come in and donate by appointment only because of the risk of COVID. And people just stopped coming in because they stayed home. We all stayed home. During um, the first three months of COVID, my team usually had a in-person training of roughly Mm, 70%. We were all in-person training at a hospital or a blood center. During COVID, that went up to 85% virtual. So we were not in blood centers. The blood centers were shutting down. The hospitals were closing. You you guys working in the hospital should know, you know, you weren't allowing family members to visit during COVID. Everything just shut down and that put a big strain on the blood supply. We had launched version seven before um, before COVID hit. So they had the capability. They just didn't have the donors. And I'm, and I'm curious, since Teramo does some R&D research and development, were y'all doing any kind of um, monoclonal antibody work or anything like that during this time period? So not monoclonal work, but we actually were involved in securing an emergency use application um, from the FDA for a column that we partnered with. It was called a marker column. And what this column was, was a it actually absorbed cytokines. So what we 
did was we worked with the marker company. This column actually connects into our therapeutic device called Optia. And so what happens is with these um, therapy is we would pump whole blood into the Optia machine, separate out the plasma from the red cells. We would return the red cells to the patient, but then we would pump the plasma through this immunoabsorption column. It would absorb the um, cytokines. And what it was used for was to treat patients in cytokine storm in ICU. So the patients really unwell on the ECMO machines were the patients we really targeted throughout this uh, study. And so we were very busy getting eight centres up and running, ICU centres up and running during COVID. And that's how we contributed to um, some of the innovation during COVID as a company. When you're a donor, what are the contraindications or how do the screenings work before a patient or anybody outside can do donations? What does a screening look like for people that are going to donate blood or plasma? Well, the FDA has specific guidelines for blood donors and every blood center must abide by those guidelines. And you have to meet certain qualifications of weight and hematocrit. If your hematocrit is low, Obviously, we can't take blood from you or platelets. You have to have a specific level of, of red blood cells or, or your hematocrit needs to be high enough. There's also regulations around what medications you can take, how that affects the blood, and exposure to other pathogens. So, for example, if you have lived in the United Kingdom, in Britain, for more than six months, you cannot no donate blood here because of the risk of, uh, oh, I always have a hard time pronouncing that name. Um, it's, it's CJD and it's a long, it's a, it's a brain disorder. So they, you fill out a donor questionnaire that asks specific questions. There's probably 25 questions on there. And it's about where you've traveled, what you've done in the last six months, or even in the last month, what medications you're on. There's there's a specific uh, requirement by the FDA that every blood center has to screen these donors. How long does that take? Some facilities, you can do all your donor screening online, and then you come into the mobile unit or into the fixed site, you get your finger pricked to check your hematocrit, and then you can go and donate. So it really depends on which facility you go to and what technology they have available to speed up the screening process. And I'm not sure if you have these numbers handy or available, but like on average, how much help does one donation do? Let's just say I decide to donate blood. So on average, how much people can I help or or what does, or who does does this one donation benefit or can benefit? Well, it depends. If it's whole blood, they can benefit up to three or four patients. Depends on how they process that blood and they divide it out because you can spin it down and separate the red cells off, the plasma off, the platelets off, the cryoprecipitate off. There's so many things you can do with a unit of whole blood. In platelet collection, if your platelet count is high enough, you could donate up to three single donor platelet doses. That means you could you could help three patients with one donation of all platelets. And then in the plasma world, that's a different world, plasma and plasma fractionation, because when we collect plasma, that plasma is taken to a fractionator and it's turned into many different derivatives, such as albumin. You guys have used albumin, right? You know what albumin is. IVIG, that's all made from plasma. And that's where the plasma centers have their donors come in and they collect large volumes of plasma. And then it's sent to a manufacturing facility to turn into those different derivatives. Yeah, I hope that... And incentivize some people to donate, you could potentially help at least three people get some blood three or, or four. Have derivatives. Yeah. yeah, derivatives. So 
you know, one, one donation of your blood, they help three to four people easy, you know? Yep. And, and I would encourage anyone out there listening that just because you've been ineligible to donate blood in the past, it doesn't mean you're necessarily ineligible now. You know, they did change uh, some of the requirements for eligibility during COVID. They mm -hmm. did lift some of the UK requirements. Uh, you know, I've heard people that say I've had a tattoo so I can never donate blood. And I just would really encourage anybody out there that's not donating because they don't think they're eligible, just pick up the phone, ring their local blood bank. They've all got customer service lines. Explain, you know, your concerns about why you might not, might not be able to donate and just get it confirmed because, you know, these eligibility requirements are changing all the time. Well, and, and what I was saying is it, you may have perfect example of what Carly said about a tattoo in years past, it was a permanent deferral. And now I think it's only a year deferral. So if you've had a tattoo, call them up and say, hey, it was a year ago. Can I come in and donate now? Yeah. So do you know why you were able to, to donate uh, with a tattoo? Is it because of back in the day, some people get like hepatitis from tattoos? Was that the, the, the main reasoning behind it? You're exactly right. Um, in the situation of tattoos, the needles were not maybe as clean as they should be. And hepatitis was a potential risk getting a tattoo. Speaking of hepatitis, I saw online that... Um, that if you bought frozen fruits from Costco, they happen to have, have uh, fruits, their frozen fruits have, have like a, it's not a watch for hepatitis. So if any of y'all shop at Costco and bought some frozen fruits, <laughs> there might have hepatitis in there. Laurie, Costco fan. She's I'm a big Costco fan, but I don't buy frozen fruits there, so. Good, good. They're going to add it to the list of, you know, not being able to donate. If yeah. you shopped at Costco these months, this is the... <laughs> Oh, I love it. I'm, I'm curious with like the current uh, state of the union, let's just say with blood donation, is there still a shortage? Are we improving? Is things United States, do we need to keep improving education? What are the current hurdles that we're battling to improve these processes or improve the amount of blood that we're currently having in blood blanks, blood banks? There is still a shortage. Yeah. yeah. Go ahead, Carly. Oh, no, I was going to say, absolutely, there's still a shortage. And, you know, we deal with blood banks every day, just struggling to meet requirements to get supply to hospital. And I think blood banks are looking how they can be more innovative. Now, when you think about it, donating blood is one of the last things that's not on demand. You know, everyone, like kids these days, everything's on demand, right? You don't, you don't have to I like to think of it as I used to have to call for a taxi, get put on hold, and then wait for the taxi to come now, pick up my phone and just dial an Uber. So I think there's some really creative people in blood banks looking at how to get it to become more accessible and more on demand for uh, donors. I think there's a lot of education. Like we said, there's you know some misconceptions out there around am I eligible to donate? And even things that I've heard people say, well, I've got a rare blood type, so I can't, I, you know, I can't donate because it doesn't help as many patients. Or on the flip side, I've also heard people say, well, I've got a very common blood type, so they don't really need my blood. And the reality is, you know, the blood banks need everything. They will manage the um, rarer types of blood more carefully so they don't waste it and you might find you might get on a on-call system to come in if you've got a rarer type of blood. But either way, I've heard people talk about it from both sides, that they absolutely um, need all types of blood. Uh, so there's that with the education as well, making it more accessible and then really just appealing to people's altruistic side. You know, it is it's time out of your day. A lot of people don't like needles. But ultimately, just by going in and donating blood, you can you can save up to three lives, which is something that's pretty profound. So, yeah, education. Yes. I actually have an appointment next week. There you go. Yeah. I'm, about, I'm about to sign yeah. that up. Wait, he's got a tattoo, though, so I don't know. It's been it's two been years. A year. It's been two years. He should be, he should be cleared, you know. <laughs> he should be good. Yeah. Well, I've got blood now in Australia, Singapore, and Australia. So... <laughs>
I've yeah been donating all around the globe. <laughs> I'm trying to think of like a way that we could or it was possible to incentivize more people donating blood because not everybody has a really big humanitarian in them where they want to go out, get jabbed by, by a needle and get their blood drawn. Is there any way that maybe your company or you have any ideas to maybe monetize this in some way where maybe you could decrease someone's premium on their insurance or give some kind of a financial incentive? Because, you know, to be honest, a lot of people aren't going to go out and, and do the effort of having to sit somewhere for an hour or two, have a needle be, be, be put in them. And I feel like maybe if you put like a monetary incentive or like I mentioned, they could bring down their insurance premiums or give them some kind of a, a, like a financial reward. Where they do, I know in some plasma clinics, they give like $60 or $100 if, if you donate. Is there any way that maybe there's room in, in, in your company or in other places where we could have some kind of financial incentive where it could maybe draw a bigger crowd in donation? So the plasma donation world is for pay. It's for profit. So they do pay their donors to come in and their donors can come in more frequently than regular blood donors because all they're taking is plasma. They also monitor those donors more closely so they can come in. In the blood center world, those are all volunteer donors. Now they do provide some incentives like free t-shirts and Starbucks gift cards and certain things to make them, you know, say thank you for coming in. But the paid donor world in whole blood donation or in platelet donation is all volunteer right now. There's one center in the United States that was trying to get into play, paid platelet donors, but it doesn't seem to be as effective as the volunteer. There are more volunteers that would come in than in their paid donor clinics. I'm curious if, if, you, if you know this data, but has there been an increase in donors for plasma because there is that financial incentive? Do you know anything, anything about that? Does it, did it make a drastic difference in the market? I haven't seen a drastic difference. Have you, Carly? Uh no, but it's interesting that the plasma donation or donors that get paid, the one of the it's I'm not sure if it's the only country, but it's one of very few countries in the world that will allow uh, payment for, for donation of plasma. And it's interesting that because of that, that um, a lot of these plasma innovation companies do most of their collections in the US, like by far the majority. They manufacture the products here now, and then they'll send their products all over the world. So I do know that statistic that the U.S. is, if it's not the only country, it's only a very small few that will allow um, paid hey donors. Yeah, which is interesting. I have a, I have a question. This is between the hospitals and the blood banks more, but there was cases where we did a type in screen and there's a patient that has specific antibodies and we need to do further testing. Sometimes this delays the process of getting blood for hours. I remember it's like night shift, four in the morning, and it's like seven thirty a.m. I'm calling blood bank, and they still haven't figured out the situation of what blood can we give this patient. So, is there any improvement that Turmo is doing by decreasing the screening, or is there any technology or software upgrades that we can do in healthcare where that time of screening specific rare blood is uh, more efficient? Yeah. I'm going to answer that, Carly. <laughs> so I guess what you're really talking about is alloimmunization, right? The patients that have produced antigens that um, can affect, you know, what can be actually tr transfused back to them. And so I guess as far as I know, there is no mechanism of action behind this. And so we actually treat a lot of sickle cell disease patients with one of our therapies called red blood cell exchange. And it requires a large amount of um, red cells to be exchanged at one time on these patients. And, you know, interestingly with that, there's two types of way these patients can be treated um, via transfusion therapy. There's really three, but I'll talk about two for this instance. It's either simple transfusion, so having one or two units infused every month, 
or a red cell exchange, which is anywhere from about three to six units of blood a month um, exchanged on our machine. And you know, it's interesting that the alloimmunization rates or the rate they develop these antibodies doesn't actually increase from the simple transfusion patients where they're receiving less blood to where they're getting infused, um, sorry, exchanged with our therapy. And so what's really interesting about that is uh, they're not really sure how these allo antibodies develop. And so I think there's some very clever people working on that at the moment. Um, but I think to manage that, the only strategy we've got at the moment is knowing what antibodies that these patients have got, knowing what they'll react to. And then to your point, phenotyping and matching all the different blood products that come through, which is incredibly expensive incredibly time consuming and really limits the amount of blood that patients can receive. So, you know, we've got some of these sickle cell patients. Uh, there, there was a there was a case in Australia where this one sickle cell patient was reliant on two donors because they were just so heavily um, alloimmunized that they couldn't have blood from anyone else and that they needed to be basically kept healthy and kept alive by two donors and it was an incredible and they actually met these two donors at one point so yeah so so your your question was about testing and can we reduce that time of testing trumo doesn't manufacture the reagents or the test kits to test for all those antibodies that these particular patients develop what we can help with is once they have for example, sickle cell disease, then we can help reduce their sickle cell load by exchanging their red cells. Yeah. What's the And what's the rationale for decreasing that load? Are we gi giving so much blood where their bone marrow is not producing the antibodies anymore? What's the rationale behind giving them three to six units of blood every single month to decrease that alloimmunization? So when you look at sickle cell disease, it's Patients that have a hereditary condition where they've got abnormal red cells. So they're called hemoglobin S cells. Uh, and so these hemoglobin S cells um, cause red blood cells to change shape and become sticky and making it difficult to pass through the small blood vessels in these patients' bodies. The other thing about these hemoglobin S red cells is the fact that normal red blood cells will live up to 120 days these sickle cells only live 15 to 20 days. So the, the reason why we do transfusion therapy for these patients is to give them more healthy red donor cells, which will increase oxygenation and decrease that anemia, which will decrease some of the symptoms these patients have from their disease. So there's two ways that the um, transfusion therapy can happen. Sorry, there's three ways. The first way is something called simple transfusion, where the patient will just come in usually once or twice a month and just have an infusion of red cells. That's great because it's going to increase the oxygen carrying capacity and increase their um, healthy donor cells to keep them healthier. But what can actually happen with that is the fact that if you keep infusing red cells, we're going to run into iron overload. So then the patient might have to have chelation therapy, which, you know, can sometimes cause GI upsets and, and things like that. With our therapy, red blood cell exchange, what actually happens is that the fact that these patients will come in usually once a month. So we spread out the amount of time um, that they have between treatments. They'll come in and we actually exchange the blood. And that's the big difference. So as we're pumping blood into our therapeutic Optia machine, the red cells go up to the waste bag and we're just exchanging healthy donor cells back. What that actually does is it reduces that um, iron overload because we're exchanging red cells for red cells. So we remain iron neutral, which is a huge benefit because then these patients most likely don't need chelation therapy. And so even though we infuse, oh, sorry, even though we exchange more blood per month, 
overall because we stretch the 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 frequency of treatments out between simple transfusion and red cell exchange the patient can actually have less blood infused over the whole year based on the fact that the treatments are less frequent so i think a big misconception about red cell exchange is the is that are you going to have to use much more blood although it's usually more blood per exchange if you look at that over a year it's generally not as much blood just depending on the individual patient and how they're being treated but the main the main the main goal of transfusion therapy is to increase the oxygenation of blood and to increase the amount of healthy donor cell healthy red cells through the patients for people with with sickle cell can they donate blood or or is that not an option for them because they're always on this chronic anemic state yeah in chronic anemic state so they they can't donate blood now people with sickle cell trait can donate but then but can that's, that, that's that's different but can that is there any risk for that trait then being in in, in in like the blood and that being given to other people well see you you would not want to give sickle cell trait red cells to sickle cell patients but other patients it would not affect however sickle cell trait whole blood does not filter cleanly because of the sickle cell trait process and it clogs the leukoreduction filters so most blood is transfused now that it is leukoreduced before you ever get it it's not leukoreduced at the bedside like it used to be back in my day but now it's leukoreduced pre-storage meaning we collect it, we reduce it right then, and then it's stored for its amount of time and then transfused as a leukoreduced product. Sickle cell trait won't go through those reduction filters. So it really kind of depends on what type of blood they're wanting. And what's the, what's the shelf life of, of blood? And is there an option for, for example, if I want to donate blood, can I donate blood and say, hey, I want this blood just to you be used on me in in the future. Is that like a is that, is that a thing or is that not possible? <laughs> well, the blood shelf life is dependent on the anticoagulant and preservatives that it's collected in. There's one additive solution um, that can extend the shelf life to 42 days. The other collecting solutions could be 28 to 35 days. So most blood is collected in the additive solution, which is either called Adsol or Optisol. There's many different names for it, but it's an additive solution that helps preserve the blood longer. We do freeze blood, but usually we freeze blood only for rare blood types. So in the incidents where a patient is a very rare blood type, then we would freeze those units to save for that particular patient. Now you can go in and donate blood for yourself for a surgery. So example, if you're going to have a knee replacement done or a hip replacement, you might need a unit of blood after you have that surgery. We call this autologous donation. This is where you go in and you donate blood for yourself, knowing that you are having the surgery and you may need that blood afterwards. But, but the main question you asked was, can I go in and store it for a later use? No, not really. You can do it for surgery, but not just to have it there. For, for your kids, Pete, you can't do that, man. <laughs> yeah, plus you said it last like 40-something days. So you have to be going in there like every month and a half. And you said that, that y'all don't freeze, freeze every, every blood. So is, 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 it, is the reason why you don't freeze it because it increases the likelihood of the blood clotting then in the future? Is it... Does it decrease in, in use? Because if you could freeze it, I'm guessing then it's going to increase the shelf life of, of the blood. But why can't you freeze all the blood? Or is that just, a, just such a high turnover where, where it's like there's no point of freezing it because someone's going to need it anyways? Well, it's very costly, number one, to freeze it and then to store it because it has to be stored in a frozen state. So that process is very costly. And then once you thaw it, it has to be what we call deglycerized. So glycerin is what protects the red blood cell from rupturing when it's frozen. And when you 
thaw the blood, you have to remove that glycerin before it's given back. So the processes to freeze and thaw and store are very expensive and time consuming. That's why every unit is not frozen, only the rare units. And then, you know, yeah, it's quite, it's very common to freeze plasma to lower point. It's, I mean, red cells just don't, they're not happy when they're frozen. No. And so that deglycerization process, a lot of these red cells will hemolyze and become untransfusable anyway. So there is, there's no one that's actually, um, unless it's very, to Laurie's kind of very specific rare, rare blood type, we just don't even freeze red cells just because of the fact, you know, post-thaw that the viability of them is is not great. And that, sh yeah. that sheds a lot of light and makes sense why there's a shortage and why we need continuous education and continuous donors in the United States or whoever else is listening in different countries because of the shelf life of blood. We don't have any technology to preserve it and it's expensive. So we just need a good numerous amount of donors in our, in our country. And I'm kind of curious, in the beginning of the show, you mentioned that Terumo deals with CAR-T technology or therapy. What is the current technology and how is it being uh, used with uh, Terumo? Well, do you know about CAR-T? What we do you a... know about CAR-T? Okay, this is the interview question, right? <laughs> so we had, a, we had a guest on before that he was uh, dealing with CAR-T, but I think it's um, able to use gene editing, in a sense, to program that gene or that CAR-T technology to go in and diffuse a cancer cell? So what CAR-T stands for is chimeric antigen receptor T cells. And what we do at Trumo Blood and Cell Technologies is we collect the starting T cells, the white blood cells. Those then go to further manufacture at a company such as Novartis or Kite or Gilead that have been approved to treat cancer patients with CAR-T therapy. And what they're doing is, you're absolutely right, they're taking gene editing and they're turning those T cells, white blood cells, into cancer-fighting cells. And then they re-infuse those cells to the cancer patient. They attack the cancer and it's amazing the response that they get because before CAR-T was developed, people with leukemia were dying left and right. And now you're seeing an 80% survival and cure rate. Cure, not remission, but cure. Is that because it's so, so specific to that to the cancer? Because a lot of times yeah. when we think of cancer treatment, we just think of, hey, someone has cancer, we got to get in there destroys cancer cells and the best way to best bang for your buck is just go in there and destroy whatever you can as long as it destroys the, the cancer cells that are making some progress but is the CAR-T that specific where it's just directly yes. for that one specific yep. cancer it is it is very specific it's it's right now approved for blood cancers leukemias lymphomas myelomas they're looking at solid tumor CAR-T therapy so it's really turning the body's own immune system on to fight the cancer. And that's the uniqueness of it, is that immunotherapy is the state of art right now to treat cancer. And so as well as helping collect that starting cell product, we've also got devices that help in that manufacturing process as well. So uh, where we fit in as a company along this whole spectrum is that we're the number one um, apheresis device for cell collections globally. M um, most people use our platform to collect these starting cell products. Um, we've got solutions um, to be able to help them identify and collect the best way possible and to be very efficient in the way they collect those cells. And then we've got, I talked about, Early in the show, the CTT business, so the cell therapy business. And we've actually got uh, systems that will actually expand these cells um, outside the body. Um, we've got um, finier machines that help um, for the storage of these um, products as well. So, you know, 
Terumo sort of fits in that whole sort of spectrum from collecting the cells all the way down to the manufacturing process as well. Fascinating. I want to put everybody on a spot here as nurses and as people that work with blood. Do you all know your blood types? I do. Yes. I'm Opaz. I'm the, I'm the yeah. most common. Everybody loves my red cells. <laughs> yeah, and I'm B positive, which everyone says of Barkali. But yeah. <laughs> no. And that's more of a, a rare. No, not yeah. at the moment. <laughs> I'm, I'm, o, I'm O positive as well. See? We're buddies. Yeah. <laughs> we can, you can, I'll donate to you, you donate to me. Yeah, I can. Because we're both O pos. And since Carly is a B positive, we, you and I, can donate to Carly. Yeah. But she cannot donate to us because we cannot take anything but O. Mm -hmm. O is the universal donor. And actually, O negative is the universal donor. But O. Oh, oh, now I know. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> One last question we like to ask all of our guests, and this is going to be the first time because there's two guests on the show. So to wrap up the show, I usually ask if you had the opportunity to have a cup of coffee with anybody one last time, dead or alive, who would it be and why? Whoever wants to go first. Okay. So for me, I guess I thought about this question and it would really be my dad. And I think the reason why is because my dad, I'm one of three girls, so he raised three daughters in the 1980s and he wouldn't have changed the way he raised us if we were boys or girls. So he taught us to be competitive, to ask questions, to always have a seat at the table. And I think the way he also answered our questions, he was an engineer, so he always answered questions in a very scientific fact. He never talked down to us. And I think that has led me and my sisters today to be the people we are and be so successful. So I think we were brought up very different to other girls that I um, were friends with in the 80s. And, you know, I just thank my dad so much for that and would love to have a last cup of coffee with my dad. <laughs> yeah. Well, I've thought a lot about this too, and I struggled because I don't drink coffee and I know Carly drinks tea. So, you know, we're, we're kind of, I don't know, but thinking of history and thinking of what has changed and who has had significant roles in history. I, I look back at Madame Curie and I think, wow, that woman was ahead of her time and she was so brilliant. And unfortunately, what she discovered Oh, it's if she'd be so much fun just to to chit chat with and and it would probably not be with coffee, it'd probably be with cocktail instead. <laughs> or or in the ice center. <laughs> yeah. Well, Carly and Lori, thank you for being on the show and representing Turumo Blood Cell Technologies and taking the time to educating us on blood donation and educating us on the shortage and everything else that you guys provide in the show. So thank you for your wealth of knowledge and wisdom and what you guys are doing. And we wish you luck on everything that's happening for the future for your company and for you, what you guys are doing. And maybe in the near future, we'll have you back on the show. Well, thank you. And you're very welcome. We'll, we'll come back anytime. Yeah. Thanks guys. Thank you so much. Great. Thank you.